I feel like I need to tell you this morning. I'm not sure what God's going to do with this message. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this microphone even. But uh, I have uh, felt led and called by God to share this message from Second Timothy. It's part of our series on Second Timothy, and where it's going to go is up to Him. Uh, and uh, hope that I can be faithful in delivering the message, and that we all can be faithful to open our hearts and to receive the message that God may have for us uh, individually today. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, that we have been called by your Spirit to be your children, that we have been freed from our past so that we could walk in freedom with you, and that, Lord, you have given us your Spirit inside of us to guide us and help us to strengthen us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to challenge us, to convict us. And today we open ourselves to you. Lord, I pray that whatever purpose, whatever uh, plan you have in mind for the message today, that it will be accomplished in our hearts. And that your spirit will take what is said and translate it to every person here. Amen. I wonder if anybody this morning believes that we're in the last days. What do you think? Mike brought it up, communion time. Uh, what, what do you think the last days are going to look like? Are we living in the last days before Christ returns? Could be. I think it very well might be. Last days is the Bible's way of referring to the end of time when Jesus will return to earth and the judgment will occur. Jesus gave certain signs to his disciples so that they would know when the end was coming. In Matthew 24, uh, we read that he and his disciples were one day uh, in that last week of his, his life before his death, burial, and resurrection. And as they were leaving the temple grounds, they were remarking to Jesus, what a, what a beautiful building, what a massive building, what, what an amazing building. And Jesus made the comment, he said, I tell you the truth, not one stone here is going to be left on another, that they're all going to be thrown down. Which prompted a disciple's question. And that question was this, when is this going to happen? <laughs> and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in Matthew 25, starting with verse 4, Jesus answered, he said, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. That time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Hmm. Signs of the end times that Jesus referred to are many. 
He says that it will include things like false Christs or saviors and wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against nations and famines and earthquakes and persecution and hatred of Christians, false prophets who will deceive many inside and outside the church. The increase of wickedness will be noteworthy and the decrease of people's love for God and for each other will also be noted. Jesus predicted that all these things are going to happen as the end is drawing close. And then he said this, When you see these signs, do what? Be ready. Be alert. Be vigilant. Be watchful. You will know the time is coming close and you want to be ready. Are we seeing these signs today? Yeah. Are we seeing them in increasing frequency or maybe increasing severity? I think so. Does it mean that the end of the world as we know it is about to come? Very possibly, but I'm not worried about it. I'm just trying to be ready, aren't you? (laughs) Jesus said no one knows the hour when it's going to come, not even the Son of Man. Jesus doesn't know when that hour will come. One day, the Father will say, it's time, and he will come, and the end will come. So always be ready, always be watchful, always be alert. We want to be faithful to the end. That's the whole point of this series from 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to the younger protege Timothy and he's saying, Be faithful. Stay in there till the very end. This morning we continue that study of Paul's last letter that we have in the New Testament, the letter to Timothy. And as we are studying this letter, he's saying, Be faithful to the finish. We find the Apostle Paul gives us more signs of the last days here in chapter 3, which is our text for today. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 of 2 Timothy. Jesus gave his signs of the last times in Matthew 24. Paul gave his in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now note that Paul's uh, signs are not natural disasters. They're not wars and rumors of wars. They're more focused on the behaviors and the attitudes of of people in the world and what they are doing. He says that we should watch for a time when people are getting further and further away from God. And then we will know that Jesus' return is drawing near. So let's go to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy and let's find what Paul's description is of this time, these last days. Does this description sound anything like today? That's my question. Chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. One more, please. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Now I thought, what would this look like in maybe some other translations? Let me share one with you. It's from uh, the CEV, which is a, a contemporary English version. And it reads this way. You can be certain that in the last days there will be some very hard times. Anybody having those? People will love only themselves and money. They will be proud, stuck up, 
rude, and disobedient to their parents. They will also be ungrateful, godless, heartless, and hateful. Their words will be cruel, and they will have no self-control or pity. These people will hate everything that is good. They will be sneaky, reckless, and puffed up with pride. Instead of loving God, they will love pleasure. And even though they will make a show of being religious, their religion won't be real. Don't have anything to do with such people. Hmm. Do you hear Paul's description in these words? Does it sound like anyone you might know? Does it sound like today? I think so. And this fairly long list is a fairly thorough list. Paul gives us here when he tells us what people far from God look like. Even if we group a few of them together, this is quite a list. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and so on and so forth. On top of these descriptions of people far from God, Paul says this about them, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They look good, they appear to be good, but they are denying the very power that might change their lives. That's kind of an interesting thought. Paul, in one way, is describing people out in the world who don't know God. People that are far from God. People that are caught in sin. Don't know any better. They're just living as they've been taught to live. As they've grown up living. They don't know the difference that Christ could make in their life. They are not trying to go to church. They're not trying to do anything that would better themselves. They're just living for their own pleasure. They're not lovers of God, but lovers of themselves. We understand that. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, I'm just talking about people out in the world who don't know any better. I'm talking about people in the church that do know better, and this is still the way they're living. Have nothing to do with such people as these, he says, or as the message and other versions put it, stay clear of them. <laughs> Have nothing to do with someone like that. They pretend, they put on appearances, they act like they're good, they go to church, they do all kinds of good things, and yet their hearts are still far from God. Does that catch any of you by surprise what well, it did me? That Paul said that. Other passages in the Bible you read about people of the world, talks about the wickedness, talks about the sin, talks about how they are under the, uh, the subjection, deception of the evil one. They don't really know any better. Here he's saying, here's a, here's a laundry list of all the terrible things that people could be doing and bad attitudes. And I'm not talking about people in the world. He says, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about Christians. People that think that they are Christians. These are people that do know God, or at least think they do. And these people fall into the same category, people that are far from God. They too may very well be lost. They may have impressed everyone else with their good deeds, with their religiosity, but in God's book, they are lost. And then in verses 6 through 9, which is also part of our text, he goes on to zero in on some of these godless people and false believers, even some who are false teachers, who are not only content to live this way, but they're teaching others to live the same way. Verse 6, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women. 
who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected, but they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Who are Janus and Jambres? Anybody know? To answer this question, we have to look into the history of Moses and the Exodus. There is a long-standing Jewish tradition that says that Janus and Jambres were the two chief magicians of Egypt who withstood Moses and Aaron when they went before Pharaoh as they were asking for the people to be let go in the Exodus. Exodus 7, 10 through 12. This tradition of Janus and Jambres being these two chief magicians is so old that Paul would have known about it. It would have been the tradition in his day 2,000 years ago. The book of Exodus says that Aaron got before Pharaoh and he had a sign from God that would show he was from God. He threw down his staff and it did what? Became a snake. Became a serpent. And so the magicians of Egypt were called in and they said, we can do that. They threw down their staffs and they became snakes too. But then what happened? Aaron's staff snake ate their snakes. <laughs> and now they didn't have a staff anymore. Now they didn't have the trick. And later on it says that these same sorcerers duplicated other plagues. When they changed water into blood, they said, we can do that. Somehow, magically, they made water appear to be blood. They even helped with the production of frogs, although I'm, I'm sure Pharaoh said, listen, we've got enough frogs. We don't need more frogs. Why do that? And then their power stopped. And as the plagues continued, they were powerless. There's even a tradition among the Jews that comes out of the Talmud, which is kind of a, the rabbinic interpretation of the Old Testament. And the names Janus and Jambres appear in the Talmud. And it says to the in there in one of the midrashes, one of the interpretations, that these two magicians left Egypt with the Israelites. That when they left Egypt, they went along because they knew where the real God was. But when they went along, they continued to create problems for the Israelites. Even when Moses then went up into Mount Sinai to get the law of God, that they were two that instigated and, and helped Aaron to make the golden calf. And they continued this, this very negative, false... Uh, influence in the lives of the Israelites right up to the time of Phineas in Numbers 25 when finally this plague of evil was stopped by a man who stood up and said, no more of this. We're going to stop this right now. Now why did Paul name Janus and Jambres here to Timothy? Obviously, they had not come back to life. <laughs> He's not saying, here they are, they came back and they're going to create problems now. He was saying, here are people like Janus and Jambres, whose very intent is to deceive and distract the people of God. His intention was to use the wickedness of Janus and Jambres back at the time of the Exodus as pseudonyms for the false teachers who would reject the truth of God in Paul's day, in Timothy's day, in what could very well be the last days. They will lead as many astray as they possibly can. Paul further comments that these pretend Christian leaders will even take advantage of people, of weak-willed women for their own selfish pleasures. They will use their charisma, whatever it may be, for selfish gain and even for getting sexual favors from women easily taken advantage of. 
and and this this uh, will not help anybody, and the women will continue to be frustrated as they are under the spell of these false teachers, never learning the truth, even though that's desires, continue to learn the truth, never come to the truth themselves because their teachers are false and misleading. Thankfully, Paul says these false teachers will not get far. They will be found out. Their folly will eventually become clear to everyone. The main thing we need to draw out of this is simply this, that in every generation, there are people who pretend to be somebody they're not. There are people that others will respect as a solid Christian influence in their life. And they will yield to their teaching. They will yield to that influence and that impact. And they will say, I follow this person because they know God. They know the truth. I am drawn to them and to their teaching or preaching. And sadly, it's easy for some people to gain a following because some people are so so gullible, so easily misled. They let somebody else do their thinking for them. They let someone else do their studying of the Bible for them. And so they just go along with whatever they're being taught because it seems that God's blessing is on this person. A good example of false teachers today may very well be the health, wealth, and prosperity evangelists who take advantage of gullible, uninformed Christians who want a God who promises them health, wealth, and prosperity. And because they want a God who will always take care of them and always provide for them, not only what they need, but also what they want, then they listen to false teachers who support a lavish lifestyle. As long as the evangelist is getting what he wants out of it, he's happy because he's asking for donations. They're making donations on the promise that they will get blessings from God. And the whole system, the whole cycle just keeps running on itself until eventually the truth comes out. Even though these men and women may have a large following, either on TV or in their church, Paul correctly pronounces a verdict upon them. He says, they are of depraved minds as far as faith is concerned. They are rejected by God. And thankfully, in the big scheme of things, they will not get far. They will not last long because their folly will become known to all. So I want to encourage you this morning to beware false teaching. <laughs> Learn to recognize it by learning what the truth is. Study the Word for yourself so you know when you're hearing the truth and when you're hearing what is falsehood. You compare what you're hearing to the truth of the Word and you will know who is speaking the truth. You will learn to discern truth and error. And we are encouraged in the Scriptures to examine, to test the prophets, the teachers that we may hear anywhere, online especially maybe. You know, anybody can put themselves online. Anybody can make themselves look good online because it's only a public image. You don't really know what's behind the scene. You don't know who they are. You don't know what their character is like. And if they look attractive enough, people will just succumb to their teaching. And we need to examine that. We also need to test as we can their humility or their pride and learn why are they doing what they're doing? Are they padding their own pockets with this? Are they pleasing themselves with this? Are they truly following God and they would sacrifice whatever it takes to be able to teach the Word of God? Now this is a, quite a passage of Scripture. 
I want us to kind of derive a couple things out of it, and only a couple things. So what are the takeaways for us this morning? What can we take away from this passage so that we may all be faithful to the finish? Because that's our goal in studying 2 Timothy. Well, three questions. Three rather pointed questions for us to answer this morning. Number one, are we really God's children? Are we really? Uh, You may feel like God's child, you may say you're God's child, but is the truth that you really are God's child? Are we legitimate? Are we legitimate in our devotion? Are we legitimate in our faith? Are we legitimate in our discipleship? Letting Jesus call the shots of our lives. Paul is describing people who only pretend to follow God. Could that be some of us here this morning? Very possible. Are we arrogant, boastful, conceited? Or any of the other things Paul says are signs of godlessness. He says some are unloving and unforgiving. Some are calloused toward the needs of others. Is that true of any of us? Are we ungrateful for what God has done? Are we abusive towards others? Perhaps even stronger are Paul's words about who or or what we love. Specifically, he says, they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Are we really children of God? Is our life, you know, about us feeling good and getting whatever we want out of life? Are we living to please ourselves? To find a way to get whatever it is we want? Are we quick to defend ourselves when anybody criticizes us or offends us? Do we have trouble giving to God's work? Do we have trouble sacrificing some of our hard-earned cash to help someone else? Are we more concerned about building our nest egg and making sure we have plenty for our retirement? Do we seek out preachers who preach what we want them to preach so we can feed our selfish desires and justify our materialism and our pursuit of pleasure? That's a lot to take in. That's a lot to think about. But we need to ask ourselves, are we really God's children or are we pretending to be? Are we impressing others? Are we making the appearance that others are impressed by, or in the heart of hearts, are we really a child of God? Living for God, not for ourselves. Big question, big takeaway. Second takeaway, are we truly students of the Word of God? Are we truly into the Word of God and learning the truth of God? Are we seekers after that truth? Are we students of the truth? Or are we easily misled by others? Are we careful to really study the Word of God so that we will know the truth? Or is it a book that sits on the shelf somewhere, maybe collects dust? Is it something that that when the preacher's preaching, I'll pay attention, but otherwise I don't do anything about this. I don't care about this enough to do something on my own about this. Can people misconstrue what God said and we don't even know it because we've never read what they're talking about. And so we just take it all in. We just swallow it whole. This could be a very serious problem, couldn't it? You know what? I think it is. Let's be honest. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem in the American church today that so many people will sit there and receive from a preacher or from a teacher whatever they give out and accept it 100% as truth and never square it with the Word of God. And never on their own go somewhere and study on their own and learn what the Word of God is saying. Because there's no way a half hour on a week can feed you what you need to be fed. 
There's no way that somebody can influence your life that greatly through a message, no matter who it is. And God puts the burden on each of us then to be students of the Word, true students of the Word. There are many people who love the Lord. They believe in Jesus. They want to be saved. They have done what they needed to do to be saved. They, they feel confident. And yet they are being duped by false teachers because they do not study the Word of God for themselves. They never question what they're being taught. They are the people that Paul talks about in chapter 4, verse 3, who have itching ears. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And there's plenty of guys who will do that. Plenty of girls that will, will give you what you want as long as you send them some money. As long as you give them the little bit of fame that they want. Popularity. People with itching ears run to hear teachers who teach what they want to hear rather than what God knows they need to hear. Is that what you do? Or are you really, truly a student of the Word of God? Big question. Only you can answer. So now the third question. Do we need to repent? If we have decided, I, you know, I'm not sure I'm really one of God's children. And we've decided I'm not a student of the Word. Is God calling forth repentance from your life today? A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. If we are not really God's children, we can turn to God and repent of our sins and become His children. The door is still open. It's the, the, the opportunity is still there. God says, come on, let, let's do this the right way. And if we are not truly students of the Word of God, we can repent of our laziness or our indifference and we become true students of the Word. You have the tools. You have the time. You have the desire. You want to be faithful to the finish. Beware of godlessness in this world. It's everywhere. It's even in the church. So have nothing to do with it. Have nothing to anyone who's promoting that. That's not what your life is about. Get away from that. Because of sin uh, in the world, we need to get our hearts right with God. And we need to beware of the temptations around us. and Repent. Be cleansed by the Spirit of God. Beware the dangers that are all around us. Beware the tug of sin upon your life or mine. Study and meditate on the Word of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into all the truth so that you will be built on the foundation, the true foundation, which is Jesus Christ. I brought something up here with me this morning. It's our coffee pot. And... Uh, I did clean it before I brought it changed, just so you know. It falls my responsibility to make our coffee every night for the next morning. We program that. Well, this week, Friday night, I did what I did twice before, a third time. I got everything ready. I got the water in the, the uh, percolator. I put the filter in and all the grounds. Never put this underneath. So, as my normal routine is, I get about 5.45, 6 a.m. every morning. Coffee's ready. Oh, so great. Smells when you go in. It was really aromatic yesterday morning. <laughs> I, yeah, I was really thirsty for that coffee because it smelled great. But it was all on the counter and down into the cabinet. Almost all of it. Thankfully, it has one of those little things that only goes down if this is under it. So, that whole 
the canner was full of coffee and I had to figure out how to get boiling water coffee out of there into the sink. So the first half hour of my day yesterday was cleaning up the mess I had made because I was not careful enough to put this in the decant in the uh, coffee pot the night before. I've done that three times now. You'd think I'd learn to get it right, but <laughs> I do get it right 364 days a year. But it's not nice when I get it wrong. What's this have to do with you or me? Do you know what? God has done everything we need so that we could be filled with Him. He's done it all. He's gotten it all ready. He's, he's even kind of programmed it. <laughs> you know, he's, he's set it all up. He's, he's taken the time to get it all ready. And the only thing we have to do is get in the, get in the, the, the coffee maker. All we have to do is get in there to receive what He's done. And you know, a lot of us stay out here somewhere. A lot of us don't get where we need to be. We don't do what we're supposed to be doing. We resist. We say, well, I'll do that later. You know, I'll do that tomorrow morning. Well, coffee already ran. It's too late to put it under there. And what we end up with is a big mess. What we end up with is dissatisfaction. Because we have not had the desire to put ourselves in the position where God can do what only God can do. And He's made ready. He's got everything set up to go. He's provided for every need of our lives. He's anticipated anything that could happen. And the one thing we need to do is put ourselves in there to receive. Are you doing it? Are you really a child of God? Are you truly a student of the Word of God? You do, you want, do you seek God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is that, is that what you want? If not... Can you be honest enough this morning to repent? To repent where your heart is and get it right with God? I hope so. Because if you can be honest enough this morning, let the Spirit of God convict you, then the Spirit of God will cleanse you. The Spirit of God will fill you. But you've got to be honest. You've got to put yourself there where God can do His work. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You are here in our midst today, that you're working in every heart. And as I prayed at the beginning of this message, you are, you are talking to every person individually if their hearts and minds are open to you. I pray that, that every person will acknowledge where we are today. Are we really your child? Are we really living for you? Are we truly a student of the Word of God? Or are we uh, just playing with these things and letting someone else lead us around? Lord, I pray that if we are not really your child, really the student that we need to be, that we would repent of that. Because only then can you work in the way that you alone can work. Lord, I, I pray for uh, anything going on in our lives. Maybe we've just loaded them up to where we can't even hear your voice anymore. Maybe... We are distracted by all kinds of stuff going on in the world. Maybe uh, someone is, is uh, pushing hard to lead us the wrong path. Maybe they're questioning our faith. Maybe they're, they're belittling our faith. Maybe we're even suffering some persecution because of our faith. Lord, help us to put all of that aside and to put our eyes and our minds on You. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
And may we finish faithfully. Be faithful to the finish for you. I ask for your blessing upon anyone here today who needs to repent. If they are willing to share that prayer need, that they would, would ask for prayer today and that others would lift them up, not in any kind of condemnation or criticism, but encouragement, support, and love as they make a change in their lives. We invite you to work in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our elders and deacons that are here today just to find a corner of the room, front or back, and as we sing together today, if you need to repent,